You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Good evening and welcome to this week's Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 with me, Sharon Noonan. Thanks to everyone who entered the competition to win a signed copy of Roisin Meany's novel After the Wedding last week. Congratulations to winner Joanna Quilty and happy reading, Joanna. Be sure to keep your ears tuned for tonight's competition when we have a family pass to Bloom, which is on in Phoenix Park during the June bank holiday. That's thanks to Board Bia. To get in contact with Best Possible Taste, please email me, S at live.ie or tweet me at Queen of Org, which is short for organisation. Now, back to tonight, we're starting off on a healthy note with nutritionist Joe O'Connor, but we're also going to be looking at South African food, nougat by a South African lady now living in Ireland, and we'll be looking at the Slow Food Clare Festival that's taking place this weekend. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. In the studio, I'm delighted to welcome health and leisure studies lecturer from Tralee Institute of Technology, Joe O'Connor, who is also the head of fitness and nutrition with the Clare Senior Hurling Team, also the All-Ireland Champions. And Joe, you're the fitness and performance expert with RTE's Ireland's Fittest Family Programme. With all these roles, I have to thank you for taking the time to come in to the studio because you must be flat out with a schedule like that. Yeah, no problem, Sharon. I'm, I'm delighted to come in and chat. It's, um, I suppose it's trying to manage everything, juggle all the balls at once. And you're a West Limerick man. You're from Rathkeel, so we have to say that as well. You couldn't refuse then. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> Let's talk about fitness and food. Do the two go hand in hand or, you know, does that bar of chocolate before the match really make that big a difference um, yeah I suppose it's, it's the type of question you know the two do go hand in hand and you know I see so many people who train exceptionally hard in the gym or out on the roads or on their bike or whatever and then don't eat properly and then at the other side of things you see people who eat exceptionally well but do no training so you hit the nail on the head the two go together and uh, I suppose in my field it's more sports nutrition and we, we have to fuel performance so there's a certain amount of energy that's needed for performance and if you don't eat that you're not going to achieve the physical performance um, I suppose I've done a lot of personal training and, and fitness instruction down through the years and working in the area of weight loss or you know what it really is is fat loss um, it's very hard to get that balance right because my, one of my most successful clients actually had to eat more to lose weight because she wasn't healthy and in order to be a healthy weight you know people focus everything on the weight but what about the health and I think eating healthy will help you have a healthy weight down the road so the two go together So did that client have to eat more of healthy foods she was eating not enough but she was eating a lot of rubbish Yeah and I suppose she'd be your typical yo-yo dieter in that um, she was peeling off the, 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 the cover into the microwave and it was the nutritional value it was the issue and then not enough nutrients therefore she was hungry they were tired and mood swings etc and you know then you give yourself your cheat meal where you feel oh, I feel crappy you know I'll start a fresh Monday and this was going on for years and years and basically when I just looked down and said right look at your physical activity which you're not doing enough of and your food you're, you're not actually eating enough to have the energy to feel positive enough to do the physical activity so her eating habits were actually inhibiting her goals of going into fitness uh, so what I said was the first thing we got to do there was, I remember my first session and I suppose it's worth noting that she fired me twice I quit once and on the fourth time she lost nine and a half stone <laughs> okay and I suppose the thing is I was telling her unless you eat healthy sleep properly and exercise this isn't going to work long term 
and I said you can go into any shop window and buy a quick fad but for this to be a health issue and she would have come to me from a health point of view more so than a, an aesthetic point of view um, you're going to have to eat healthy and exercise so our first session was grabbing a shovel taking the weighing scales and taking the microwave and burying them in the garden so I equated that to about 500 calories and I said we're done for today and that was the biggest issue there were two biggest obstacles she used to weigh herself every morning and you know have a glass of water your weight goes up you know don't drink it your weight stays stable uh, so we got rid of the weighing scales and started eating real food and looking at a few simple rules I, would have, I used to work here in Killeen and Leisure Centre um, back when it opened first for Rose and Vincent and um, I suppose I, I looked at simple rules just to help people and, and one of them was to eat six times a day you know eat regularly rather than swamping yourself down with a massive meal at night Gosh, you know, it all makes such sense whenever you say it like that. But the reality in day to day is very different for a lot of people. When it comes to the the Clare Hurling team, Mm -hmm. would you meet them individually as players and 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 educate them basically yeah and you hit the nail on the head it's education and I, I think the biggest thing and I suppose this is my third year with Clare and I would have worked with, with Waterford with Davey as well so you know I've, it's good to have a manager who supports me so he allows me the time uh, and energy to put into this and the first thing is education and the second thing I think when it comes to nutrition is not to try to change your world in one go I have a kind of a 10 week policy change one thing a week for 10 weeks and you know in two and a half months time you've totally rewired your whole diet um, and as I said I, I use at the moment when I started making out rules for nutrition and I felt I had to put rules in place and declare players being elite athletes in their sport or whether I'm working with athletes or whether I'm working with just someone who wants to lose weight for their wedding I think nutrition can be very complicated and it can be a minefield because one person says this is really healthy and another person says that's not healthy and they conflict each other so I looked at rules so people could stick to simple rules and when I was working in Killeen and I had about 15 or 16 which kind of defeated the purpose because that just made it more complicated again so I've that down to six now <laughs> and um, basically number one is to eat a little often and I think everyone knows what's healthy and what's not healthy you know people really like if you have a, a burger and chips in front of you and I say do you think that's a healthy meal really what do you think yourself so I tell people to eat six times a day and eat healthy food so we and as a nation we don't eat enough fish and we don't eat enough seeds and nuts and the the second rule actually is to eat the colors of the rainbow every day so Ireland we're very good for apples and oranges I might eat the occasional banana but what about beetroot what about you know plums uh, red cabbage red onions the dark colours we don't eat enough of them so I just challenge my clients to eat the colours of the rainbow every day uh, that's rule two rule three is to drink some water for every hour that you're awake so we all know hydration is important but I see people going to the gym I was just in the gym myself and people coming in with two litres of water and it's their goal to drink two litres as quick as they can but then they're dehydrated for the other 14-15 hours of the day that they're awake so just to sip water on a regular basis and um, I don't really believe in you know eight glasses a day because let's just take rugby for example if I have Paul O'Connell and sorry I know I'm on radio and put my hand up in the air if I have Paul O'Connell versus Peter Stringer um eight glasses a day it might be too much for one and not enough for the other or the other one is the two litres a day you know two litres for Paul O'Connell isn't enough and two litres may suffice for Peter Stringer so we have to personalise it whereas if I say to you just sip some water every hour of the day that you're awake there's a pretty good chance that you'll you'll hit your targets and I appreciate the rules are simplistic in nature and in order to get something simplistic we, we have to take away some of the, the hard tactical uh, barriers sometimes that are there and I find the first three help there the, the last three are simple enough um, no fried foods 
so if it's fried we shouldn't be eating it and people often challenged in and say you know what about stir fries are they healthy and I say well the Asians will mix their ingredients they don't cook in a stir fry they mix the ingredients which is not frightening the food um, no fizzy drinks simple enough rule and what about sparkling water yeah that's what I was just about to say I would say still water is a better option and then people give you the argument well what if it's in a plastic bottle is there loads of chemicals and, and I, in my view in nutrition you can find something wrong with everything we eat and drink but it's more important to be hydrated than dehydrated. So whatever is the best way to be dehydrated. And for me, that is still water versus sparkling water. Okay. The last one then is, I won't curse, but it rhymes with a word. So I, I usually say white isn't bright. Okay, white sometimes is something else as well. Okay. <laughs> uh, and that's a simple policy I use, particularly with people. And in sports, it's a little bit different. But for weight loss, I think we eat too many white processed grains and fruits. And um, basically it leads to a lot of sugar levels and insulin levels spiking and rising throughout the day and then crashing at night. So half 10 at night, cup of tea and a biscuit, you're in trouble. So that I, I ranted on a little bit there, but those six rules are pretty much what the Claire guys go with. And I tweak them then for um, whether it's an athlete or whether it's someone for weight loss or on the flip side, if someone wants to put on muscle mass, you know, you're, you're, you're stereotypical skinny guy in the gym who wants to be big. Um, you can manipulate that as well by just eating more real food. You must get to know the players very well and know what their weaknesses are. Mm-hmm. So say you're on the way to a match and you you stop for a, a break and some of them go into the, the local shop there would you know which ones to be lifting by the ankles to shake them down to empty their pockets yeah I suppose day one I, that's something I nip in the bud <laughs> you know in that they have a 48 hour plan before every match which is customised and personalised so they know exactly what they should be and we don't stop on the way to, to matches uh, we may go to a hotel for a pre-match meal and then that's all we look after everything from there so there's no reason for them to take ownership on their own but let's just say it's a bank holiday weekend and we're not training or we've no match I know the guys I would send a polite text really yeah one player I wouldn't name him but he's the all star and player of the year (laughs) and young player of the year Uh, (laughs) but no Tony like I've great time for Tony and that was his biggest weakness coming in and he, he goes around to a lot of the schools now saying like once I cut out the coke and the fizzy drinks and the whites I felt I could put on my little bit of muscle because that was all his weakness. And he had a great season off the back of it. And he's no problem saying he used to be the bag of potatoes kind of coke in school once that was removed and replaced with healthy food. And it doesn't have to be, you know, freakly healthy. You know, people say to me, are you always eating salads and stuff? And I go, no, they're boring. <laughs> you know, you try to eat real food, but don't do the dog in it. And it definitely had a performance enhancement effect on him. Well, speaking of performance enhancement, you're involved with the Ireland's fittest family. They're currently recruiting at the moment for mm-hmm. families. So the level of fitness there and diet and everything must be critical because it's it's a fair challenge. So it is. Yeah, the show is great, and it's it, it's something it's something different for me as well. Uh, the one thing that was missing last year was a West Limerick family. I, I felt a, a little bit out when I was the only Limerick person, so I need more West Limerick families. Um, like I. I know not dropping names but I used to run with West Limerick here in the McDonald's for example or the Hazes have a gym there's plenty of families in Newcastle West Raquel West Limerick region who would be good enough to apply I got that off my chest so yes a, a lot of the families that apply and end up on the TV show are they have a culture within the family it, it, and it's not again one of these aggressive you know really freaky fit people it's just real go back 50 years in Ireland you know people who are doing physical labour or rep- replicating that in a gym scenario or in a training scenario and eating real food 
you know, and there's no real big secret to it. But the reason people don't want to do that is that it's hard work. It takes planning, it takes preparation, and there's always someone promising you the next best thing. And my philosophy is, well, exercise with proper diet will get you results. And I think all the families that met the show last year would have, in their own way, all be unique and different, but had all the same philosophy towards doing fitness as a family unit. And you could see that, I think, particularly in the finals, when people were under pressure, it was the family unit, and they do things together, and I think that's the key for family fitness. And would you have helped any of them and advised any of them on their diet? No, um, I I suppose my role is a referee on the show but I'm also a fitness and performance advisor to the show so I can't actually help any of the families because I'm designing the courses and the challenges uh, now like we'd go to a facility or we, we'd get a, a consulting company in to help out but I suppose I have to just take off the fact that are we testing fitness so if I know the courses in advance and I help any one family in any way it, it, it's not fair and everyone else so I have zero contact with the families that way Okay, well, the deadline is this Friday, the 23rd of May. So interested families should log on to the RTE website and get a plan. And as you say, wouldn't it be great to see a West Limerick family winning the crown and taking that €15,000 cash sum home with them? It's it's, it's a nice price. Well, good luck with the filming and with the Claire Hurling team. And thanks for coming in tonight. No problem, Sharon. Thank you. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleite. Tonight, our artisan food product features something that I suspect our previous guest, Joe O'Connor, wouldn't approve of seeing in the kit bag. Just as well he's left the studio. But let's hear how a South African-born woman ended up making nougat in her kitchen in Ireland. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. I'm joined now on the telephone by a lovely lady called Mina, Mina Rust, and she is based further up the country in the lush Irish countryside. It is described as on her website. And Mina has just started making handmade nougat, or some people might say nugget. How are you, Mina? Very well, thank you very much, Sharon, and thank you for having me tonight on your show. Tell us, how did you get into making nougat? Um, like so many other people, I was made redundant in 2010, and which was wonderful because my two children were very small at that stage and I enjoyed the time at home, but soon realized I had to do something. And I, tr- I played with lots of different options. Most were food-related. And um, a friend of mine then suggested we should do start your own business course with the Enterprise Board, which I did. And at my second meeting, I decided I wanted to make a nougat. When you were made redundant, were you actually working in a food-related industry? No, I wasn't. No, I was working for an engineering company. So when somebody suggested nougat to you, what was your initial reaction? Um, well, we love nougat and... We always brought nougat back from South Africa, coming back from holidays. And um, we just couldn't find nougat here in Ireland that we liked. Now, whenever you say you brought it back from South Africa, is that where you're from originally? Yes, yes, no, it is. Okay. So you couldn't find nougat in Ireland that, that excited you as much as the South African one? No, the thing is, in South Africa, the nougat that we are used to won't be as sweet as the nougat you find here. And um, the texture is also different. It's not the crumbly texture. It's more, it's more soft, um, chewy texture um, and smoother. It's not that crumbly nougat. You get so many different types of nougat that every country makes their own. And um, 
So we always brought nougat back, and I wanted to make a nougat that was similar to ours that we were used to and grew up with. So what was the next step then in, in finding out what the perfect ingredients were to actually create the product? I just tried loads of different recipes. And nougat is very temperamental because there's only a few ingredients you use. It's all very natural. And I had to throw loads of nougat down the drain. But finally got a recipe that I liked and tweaked it enough. And I then started selling my nougat at Marley Park on the Saturday food market, and which was wonderful market research. I immediately realized what people liked and what they didn't. And in the beginning, my nougat was so chewy, I was always scared if, um, for people to eat it that it might take their teeth out. But I soon got the recipe nice and soft. And um, yes, I had a wonderful year selling it at Marley Park. And the following, um, that was last January, I just realized that I wanted to make it a proper business. And I didn't want to make it out of my kitchen anymore. So at that stage, I went to Europe and looked at a few industrial, more bigger, that just helped me to make bigger batches at a time. Because at this stage, you were making it at home in your kitchen, as you say, so you're, it was all handmade, small yes, batches. Yes, I made, it took me two hours to make one kilogram of nougat and to cut it. And I had to make at least five batches of that, just that was enough for Marley Park on a Saturday. So I was standing and stirring for two hours a day, the sugar just to dissolve. And, and um, I, just didn't, I knew I didn't want to keep on doing it that way. Because it sounds like it was very labour-intensive. It, it still is. It still is. It takes me three hours to make my big batch. Um, so I get up early in the morning and I make my nougat before the kids wake up. And um, then it takes us about four hours. I wrap my nougat in small little pieces, individual little pieces, um, in wax paper. And it's hand-wrapped. And then each little piece get a little sticker on. So it looks very pretty. And when you open up your bag and you unwrap your piece, the texture of the wax paper is nice and soft. And now it's a whole ritual for me to open up each piece and eat it and enjoy it. It's not, um, you know, just packed in a bag. Um, there's a whole philosophy for me behind the whole packaging as well. Whenever you say then you went to Europe to source equipment basically so that you could make larger batches yes. but you didn't want to do it in your kitchen anymore so did you hire a space outside of the home? What I did was we converted our garage I had to do planning application and converted our garage then into a proper nougat kitchen I got that also HSC approved got the proper proper flooring in and um, walls and everything so it looks beautiful. I got a, uh, just a big machine that helps me make the nougat. And I also don't cut it by hand anymore. I've got a proper nougat cutter that cuts it. I still have to feed it in and work the whole thing, but at least it's not a knife anymore that I have to try and saw through the nougat. Because some people might be under the false impression that they can start up these food businesses very easily no. at home in their kitchen, but there's actually quite a lot of red tape and paperwork, and you're talking about floors and walls and, and things it there. Is. Even when I wanted to start selling it in Marley Park, I had to get my home kitchen HSE approved, 
um, it's easier when you do things like confectionery to make to get it HSE approved. It's because the confectionery can't give you food poisoning. It can't make you sick. Where if you want to start working with meats and dairy products, I think it's much more difficult to get your kitchen HSE approved. But I got that done, and I also had to get my insurances covered for markets even before I started selling at Marley Park. So the setup costs were fairly high for you? It was. It was. It was. And now you're at the stage where you are selling to various different outlets. But before we get to those, tell us about the different flavours that you do. I have um, roasted almond, which would be your standard French um, nougat almost. So I've got roasted almond. And then I have almond and pistachio. Um, That's my husband's favourite. And I also have a chocolate and hazelnut one, which my kids love as well. Um, and none of the nougats are very sweet. It's, a, it's um, almost a comforting taste. It's when you sit down and you eat it, it's really, it's not an overwhelming flavor that you get. And I don't use any flavorings in my nougat. Some um, countries use vanilla. Some countries use lemon juice. I only have the flavor of the honey and the nuts. So that's really all that flavors, that's the flavors that you can taste in the nougat. So the basic ingredients then would be there's almonds and pistachio nuts, berries, chocolate you mentioned there, honey. Yes, um, I use honey, sugar and egg white. That That is what you get with the whiteness. And um, you can do a nougat as well without the egg white, but that is more like a brittle. It's very hard. It's more like a brittle. Um, so mine is the egg-based um, nougat. And that's why it's white. That gives it the white, soft texture. And I believe it's gluten-free. It is. I got this January. I launched my whole nougat and the whole new look um, to the, at the Christmas craft fair over Christmas. And that was wonderful. And just the reaction to see what people thought of the packaging. Because it's quite different. It's not a, in a box. Lots of people, when I told them that I don't, didn't want to package my nougat in a box, that I was crazy and I said, you know, I take so much time in wrapping each individual piece. If I put it in a box, nobody can see the effort that went in it. So nobody can see how beautiful it looks. So um, I, I, we launched that whole packaging at the Christmas Craft Fair, the RDS. And then January, I got my Nuga lab tested and gluten-free certified. And then... Um, Yes, in February, I worked, February, March, we worked on the new website, and so I saw online as well, and in March, shops started taking it, so which is very exciting. Now, you're not available in any shops in West Limerick at the moment, but you are going to appeal to shops out there that might like to stock it. Oh, definitely. Oh, definitely. Every week, I phone a few shops, and every week, I send out samples. So I hope to be in West Limerick very soon. I'm up in Sligo already, and I'm also in Carling, um, but that's outside Dublin and Wicklow. That's the only really two places that I am in at the moment. But listeners can buy online. How do they go about that? They do. It's very easy. You go just to um, www.minas, that's M-I-E-N-A-S dot I-E, and have a look on the website, and it's a shop online as well. 
And your vision going into the future, Mina, what do you want to see the company evolving into? Um, I really just want to get into as many shops in Ireland as can and just educate people more about Tanuga. It's also a much healthier confectionery. It is cholesterol-free as well, and um, it's very low in calories. So I want to just educate more Irish people into it, and then I also would love exporting as well. Well, we wish you all the very best with it. Thanks so much for talking to us this evening, and just give a shout-out again there with the website address. It's Minas, that's M-I-E-N-A-S. Um, dot ie perfect thank you so much and thank you so much for having me tonight bon appetit yummy grubs up delicious mmm the best possible taste on West Limerick 102 is delighted to offer you the chance to win tickets to Bloom Ireland's biggest gardening food and family festival Board Bia is giving you the chance to win a family pass to enjoy the dazzling garden displays, mouth-watering food, cutting-edge fashion, fun and games and lots, lots more. A highlight in the social calendar for green-fingered enthusiasts, foodies and those who enjoy a great family day out, Bloom will run for five days over the June Bank Holiday weekend in Dublin's Phoenix Park from Thursday the 29th of May until Monday the 2nd of June 2014. To be in with a chance to win this fantastic prize, just answer the question below. Where is Bloom being held this year? A. The Botanic Gardens B. Phoenix Park C. St Stephen's Green Send your answer to s.noonan at live.ie by this Sunday, May 25th. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102FM. Now, we're going to move from a South African lady living in Ireland, hand-making nougat, to a Northern Irish man living in South Africa. Gerling did this Skype interview a few weeks ago. Now, Gerling O'Sullivan brings you some tasty treats. Colin McGivern joins us now from South Africa and he's going to tell us all about the food and cooking over there. Welcome, Colin. Hi, Geraldine. How are you doing? Good, good. Can you tell us a little bit about how long you've been in South Africa and where you are located? Well, we're, we're in Johannesburg in South Africa uh, and uh, a lot of people will know Johannesburg, a uh, very famous gold rush city uh, that's about 100 years old. It's the, the heaving metropolis of South Africa. It's the less famous counterpart to Cape Town and less touristic than Cape Town, much more authentic part of South Africa, I think. Uh, and we've been here three months now. I moved over here with the, uh, with uh, Claire, my wife, and our two children just after Christmas time. And I have to say, we've been having an absolute ball since we arrived here. It's been uh, a wonderful cultural experience for us, uh, personally and, and professionally. And we've met loads and loads of really, really interesting people, both South African British, Irish, uh, people have been incredibly generous to us and reached out to us and made us feel very, very welcome in South Africa. And I would say that next to Ireland, it's one of the warmest places for a, for a falcia that I've ever encountered in my life. That's, that's great to hear. And what about the food? What have you come across in terms of the food over there and the cooking styles? Well, it's, it's interesting. First thing to say is really that 
that eating out in South Africa is incredibly reasonable. You know, uh, the exchange rate works for us at the moment, of course. Uh, but but you know, even if the exchange rate was a little bit uh, weaker, the 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 value that you get, the price of food here, uh, eating out in restaurants is incredibly competitive. So, uh, for instance, on this one is that my son has he's six years old and he's developed a taste for fillet steak. Uh, which if he were to go out and, and eat out in restaurants in Ireland and order fillet steak at every available opportunity, it would break the bank. Whereas here you can order a really good top quality 200 gram fillet steak and get that for about six pounds, the equivalent six pounds or you know, eight euro or whatever the, that is in, 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 a, in a restaurant. And it's top quality. It's absolutely beautiful. So really good value with top quality produce locally produced that uh, that seems to be just flying out the doors for them. They're, the, the restaurants are busy uh, all the time and it looks incredi- like an incredibly popular thing to do. And in terms of the vegetables and fruit and the meats that you got over there, have you come across anything different to Ireland? Well, uh, as I was saying, the, the, the steak is really good. Very, very uh, tasty. Uh, but you can also get lots of uh, locally oriented produce like ostrich. Ostrich is popular. Uh, cholesterol-free, Geraldine, I would say. Ostrich is a, there's no sins attached to ostrich. It's cholesterol-free. Uh, but there's also quite a bit of game as well, uh, but, but you know, different than the game that we would have at home. It's seasonal. Uh, you can get impala, springbok. Impala is a little bit like uh, uh, venison at home. You, know? you get the various different cuts of impala, and they tend to stew it a lot because it, it seems to be a little bit uh, tougher or bouncier than, uh, than the venison that you would get at home, the good finnebrogue stuff. Um, so the game is, is good, the game is prominent. Uh, and then, of course, South Africa, with its multicultural uh, uh, melting pot, uh, has brought into the food culture a great deal of influences from other parts of the world. So there's a lot of dried, cured meats. Uh, the famous one that people would know from South Africa is biltong, the air-dried, spicy uh, beef that's a little bit like parma ham, only, uh, only chewier and more plentiful. Um, and, and biltong's pretty good. You know, biltong you'll find in the pubs. Um, in, instead of crisps or nuts, they'll put down a little bit of biltong in front of you to help you uh, gnaw on while you're having your pint of locally produced uh, craft beer. And uh, you know, it's it's very tasty. It's very very nice. But it, and it is very prominent. You find it almost everywhere you go. Uh, in the local spa at the end of our street, there's a, a special section where they're air drying and hanging biltong at the back of the shop. Uh, and, and again, it just flies off the shelves. The, the local South Africans love it, speak about it very proudly. And of course, have very uh, uh, very uh, sophisticated palates when it comes to the different types of build home that they're looking for. And in terms of, would say, servings with dinner, for example, in Ireland, we'd have potatoes a lot. Is it rice there or would it be a selection of vegetables? Vegetables are plentiful. Uh, the local uh, South Africans... Uh, have a, a particular side dish that they love uh, called uh, pap and gravy. And pap and gravy is a little bit, pap is like a, a very stiff uh, maize meal that looks a little bit like polenta, you know, that hard, the hard polenta that we would have at home. The difference is that obviously it's, it's maize, it's, uh, it's stiff and it's white. It looks a little bit like mashed potatoes, but it's tougher. Um, and they, they eat it with a, a, a gravy that they make from onions and tomatoes, um, uh, you know, melted down and, and uh, poured over the top of the, uh, the, the pap. 
pap and gravy. And you get that as a side dish almost everywhere. It's very, very tasty. And of course, it's very, very filling. Uh, the pap needs the gravy to give it the flavor that you, that you want to have there. Uh, it's different than polenta in the way that we would cook polenta at home where you would load it with flavor like parmesan and olive oil and salt and pepper. The pap is very, very plain, so it needs the gravy on top of it. But it's incredibly filling, and that's why it's, it's also very cheap. And that's why it's very popular here as a side dish. And in terms of the meal times or the customs that you've noticed over there, is there anything specific to South Africa that you've noticed? Everything starts so early in the morning. I mean, the kids start school at uh, half past seven every day. Uh, and that means that you have to be up a couple of hours before that to get them ready to go and so on. When I arrive into work at eight o'clock in the morning, the place is absolutely packed and everybody's uh, you know, halfway through their day by the look of it, by the time I get in at eight o'clock in the morning. So everything starts much earlier here. And that's, of course, because of the heat. Uh, because the, by, by the time it comes to midday, 12 noon, it's incredibly hot here during the summertime. So, so they start things earlier. Lunch happens earlier. Um, we would be having lunch typically around about 11 o'clock in the morning. And the kids are absolutely desperate for their dinner at around about three o'clock in the afternoon. So, uh, you know, we're in bed fast asleep eight o'clock in the evening. And that's just the way the, the day has gone for us, because things just you have to change things according to trying to manage the heat when it gets really hot in the summertime. Yes. And have you had a chance to try the wines over there? Even in Ireland, I suppose we would have heard a lot about South African wines. Yeah, well, you know, before we came out to South Africa, we did experiment uh, quite widely with the available range of South African wines in, in Ireland and uh, we, got to, we got to pick a few favourites. I suppose the, the most prominent one and the most famous one in Ireland available in the shops would be the chocolate block uh, blend. Uh, it, it, it's quite prominent, you can see there and it's very expensive in, uh, in Ireland and in the UK. Here it's about half the price that you get it uh, at home and uh, that goes across the board with a lot of the the locally produced wines, they're incredibly reasonably priced. So you can pick up a really good uh, bottle of Pinotage or a Cape blend for about three pounds, uh, five euro. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's very, very reasonable. It could be the death of you if you uh, allowed value to get in the way of abstinence, but it's, uh, it, it just makes it all the more enjoyable. And have you had a tra- chance to go to the vineyards yet? We haven't done that yet, though we have been uh, out around some of the veldt uh, on safari, chasing some of the game, uh, although we haven't gone to the stage yet where we shot it and edit. it, uh, but who knows, that could be the future for us here in South Africa. Coming up next. And you mentioned in an email to me previously that you've been working on your, is it Baboti or how do you pronounce it? Very good, very good. You must have Zulu roots, do you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Baboti, uh, I asked the guy, how do you say it, Baboti or Baboti, uh, he says you can say it either way, sir, as long as you eat it, it's, uh, it's lovely, it's absolutely gorgeous, it's a, like a, uh, a mince meat, uh, beef mince or lamb mince typically, that's spiced up with fruit, curry spices, salt, pepper, chutney, Worcester sauce, turmeric, uh, they stick some vinegar in there, uh, uh, onions, garlic, uh, they blend it with some some uh, bread, and then they pack it into a tin, and uh, uh, and then they whisk two eggs and float the eggs on top of this to stop it drying out in the oven. They put it in the bain marie in the oven and they cook it. So, it it's absolutely gorgeous. It's a bit like meatloaf, only it's uh, I would say fruitier and spicier, and I just can't get enough of it. It's absolutely gorgeous, and they serve it with yellow rice, and it's uh, it's traditional South African dish. 
that comes from the influence of the Cape Malay people. So it, it's a, a dish that has its roots in immigration in the 1600s in the uh, Cape Town areas. Uh, and it's I would I would I would recommend the people hit the internet, look up a, a recipe for traditional South African bubble tea. Sounds delicious. Uh, it sounds like there's there's quite a wide selection and interesting foods over there. Do you miss any foods at all from home? Spuds, Geraldine. I can only say spuds. Mm-hmm. The uh, there, there's much to commend South Africa to the world, but the quality of the spuds isn't a patch on a roosters or the cares pinks that you can get at home. Uh, even our own humble uh, new cumber potatoes. Uh, you know, you could dream about them. Uh, uh, you could dream about the creamy mash that we get at home, and you just can't get the same recreated here. I'm afraid. Uh, they're really good on their pap and gravy. Uh, I think they need to whisk a little bit more butter into their spuds and give it a bit more elbow grease to try and make it to improve things for themselves. Mm-hmm. And for any visitors coming over to South Africa in the next few months or the next year or so, would you have any tips for them? Yeah, I would say, you know, in, in many ways, South Africa is in the headlines at the minute uh, with the Pistorius trial and, and all the other uh, things that are happening here. And it's in the headlines for all the wrong reasons. The, the, the people here have been incredibly warm to us, incredibly welcoming. Uh, we felt really safe here in South Africa, uh, in a, one of the world's most beautiful countries, with fresh produce, uh, uh, such a, a stunning array of uh, foodstuffs that are available in the supermarkets in the end of the street. You know, it's one of the most uh, advanced and Europeanized parts of Africa. It's an incredibly developed country, very sophisticated culture. I would commend South Africa to anybody listening to your program. Excellent. Thank you so much for joining us from South Africa, Colm. It's, it's been a pleasure speaking to you and it's, it sounds like you're having a, a great time over there and it's, it's a good experience all around. Thanks very much, Geraldine. I'll, uh, I'll give you a shout next time I've had some, some dried sausage and uh, some of the other more extravagant things that I see on the, on the to-do list for myself. Yeah, that sounds great. We can catch up with you maybe in a few months' time to see how your adventures in the food world have gone. That's great, Colm. Thank you very much. Thanks, Geraldine. Bye. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleiter. Here at The Best Possible Taste, we often bring you reviews of restaurants and cookery books. However, tonight we're bringing you a review of an animated film, and it's food-related. It's called Ratatouille, and it was out a number of years ago, and it's back on TV screens now. We'd like to welcome Chloe O'Sullivan-Myers here, who has reviewed the film for us tonight. Welcome, Chloe. Hi. Where is the movie set? It's set in a restaurant called Gusto's in Paris. And who runs the restaurant? At the beginning of the film, Gusto runs the restaurant. However, he dies and the head chef Skinner takes over. And how's the restaurant doing? Um, not so great at the moment. Tell us about the main characters in the film. Uh, the main characters are Linguini, who goes to the restaurant to apply for a job, um, but is not a very good chef. There's Remy the rat who teaches him how to cook. And there's the other chefs working in the restaurant and the head chef Skinner, um, who's quite mean and doesn't really want Linguini to work there. How does the story in the restaurant start off? 
Um, well, the restaurant's doing kind of bad at the moment, um, but then Linguini uh, applies for a job there. He gets the job, but while he's um, training, he they find a rat in the restaurant and he's told to get rid of it. But when he goes to get rid of it, then the rat understands him and he understands the rat. And then... Um, the, the rat will te- teaches him how to cook. So the rat seems to have ideas of becoming a chef himself and he doesn't want to stay as a, a regular rat down in the sewers. Yeah, that's true. He wants to be a really um, famous chef and looks and looks up to Gusto. And how do they communicate? Um, the rat goes underneath the Linguini's chef's hat and he pulls his hair when Linguini, um, when he smells the herbs Linguini is using to see if the, the herbs are right. So he's helping him as he goes along with the recipes, telling him which are the best ingredients to add in. Yeah. And what type of food do they cook in the, the film? They cook um, a vegetable soup, which has um, peppers, carrots and peas and herbs. And then they cook ratatouille. And uh, the rat does a special sauce for that. He makes up a special sauce for that. With the combination of the rat Remy and Linguini the chef, does the restaurant improve? It does improve um, a lot um, with the help of Remy um, telling Linguini how to cook the dish. Um, But we won't spoil the ending for you. So a critic comes along, but we won't spoil the ending to for any viewers who haven't seen it to see how the restaurant gets on yeah and how would you rate the movie Chloe? Um, I would give it five stars because it's a very um, interesting film and it, is, it has a nice story to and it it's quite funny as well isn't it? yeah there are some funny moments yeah and what age group do you think it's suitable for? it's suitable for 7 to 12 years old in terms of your own cooking would you cook many dishes yourself? I don't cook um, a lot, but um, I did recently cook shepherd's pie and I cook uh, pasta as well and uh, sometimes I cook queen cakes. And what's your favourite food? Um, Coffee cake would be my favourite food. Very good. Many thanks for coming along, Chloe, to review the movie Ratatouille for us and it's now on TV screens. Thanks, you're welcome. possible taste on West Limerick 102 is delighted to offer you the chance to win tickets to Bloom, Ireland's biggest gardening, food and family festival. Board Bia is giving you the chance to win a family pass to enjoy the dazzling garden displays, mouth-watering food, cutting-edge fashion, fun and games and lots, lots more. A highlight in the social calendar for green-fingered enthusiasts, foodies and those who enjoy a great family day out, Bloom will run for five days over the June Bank Holiday weekend in Dublin's Phoenix Park from Thursday the 29th of May until Monday the 2nd of June 2014. 
To be in with a chance to win this fantastic prize, just answer the question below. Where is Bloom being held this year? A. The Botanic Gardens B. Phoenix Park C. St Stephen's Green Send your answer to s.noonan at live.ie by this Sunday, May 25th. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Time to have a look at events taking place throughout the country this week. Our thanks to Keith McGuigan from MarketDirect.ie, who has been covering this segment since Best Possible Taste started last October. Sadly, due to increasing work commitments, Keith is no longer available, so producer Geraldine and I would like to take this opportunity to thank him most sincerely for his hard work, and we wish you, Keith, continued success in your business. We're looking forward to having a new contributor on board in the next few weeks, but until then, you'll just have to put up with me. <laughs> Sorry about that. So it's already started on the 17th, but it runs until this Sunday, the 25th of May. And that's in Gorey, the 16th Golden Shears World Sheep Shearing and Wool Handling Championships, incorporating the Good Food Ireland Village. And this is a unique festival of farming and family fun with a host of activities highlighting the best of Irish agriculture, heritage, food and music. The Good Food Ireland Village will highlight Ireland's culture through its food, where visitors can experience a real taste of Ireland and meet the people behind the products. Tickets are from €10 and they're available online. Children under 12 are free. That's goldenshearsireland.com. We've heard a lot about nutrition on tonight's programme thanks to Joe O'Connor earlier and tomorrow night, Wednesday the 21st of May in Listowel, Blue Sky Events is hosting Give Your Health a Boost with Eileen Lane who is a nutritionist and woman's health advisor and Kay McDonnell, ITECIRI, complimentary therapist and author. Full details are on the Blue Sky Events Facebook page and I met organiser Miri Coleman on my travels last week and she had this to say about the event. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleiter. Tomorrow we've got a session. It's called Give Your Health a Boost. Um, tips, ideas and recommendations on how to take care of your health and well-being. And we've got um, Eileen Lane, who's a nutritionist um, from Abbey Field, who's going to be um, running that session for us. We've got a morning session, which is from 9.30 to 11.30 a.m., and an evening session, which runs from 7.30 to 9.30 p.m. And Eileen will focus on women's health, budget meal planning, and um, delicious healthy recipes designed to make you feel great from the inside out. Um, it's one of four um, women's workshops that we're running in Listowel at the moment at Listowel Arms Hotel and this is the second of four um, the other ones that we're running were well we had style last week in two weeks time we have um, everyday gorgeous hair and makeup with Danny Russell and um, then we have stop worrying and start living with life coach Cora Carey and if you want more information you can contact either Mary or Tina on 083 or email info at blueskyevents.ie. We're also on Facebook at Blue Sky Events Listow. Now, returning to Wexford this weekend, we have the Wexford Food and Wine Festival, a celebration of the country's superb and thriving food scene with plenty of activities, entertainment and stalls offering lots of great family activities. Full details on their website, wexfordfoodfestival.ie. 
Closer to home this Thursday the 22nd, we have the Supper Club with Judy O'Connor. It's back with the wonderful Judy O'Connor for a super spring show. This includes a fantastic two-course dinner upstairs in Dolan's, which will be transformed into an old-style piano bar with awesome Aidan on the piano. And Judy sings the songs of the great divas from Lisa, or Liza, I should say, Minnelli to Emily Sande. Tickets are 18 euros and you can buy those online at dolans.ie. This Saturday in the Strand Hotel, our good friend chef Tom Flavin always cooks up a nice feast there if you're getting married and they're actually having their May open wedding day, 10 o'clock until 5 o'clock. Check out strandlimerick.ie. Another nice event taking place this weekend that I'm personally hoping to get up to is the Slow Food Clare. That's the 23rd to the 25th. That's on in Listonvarna and I was speaking to its chairperson person Birgitta head and curtain to find out more cheers chin chin salut schleunter Last month, I talked to Birgitta Hedden-Curtin from the award-winning Burn Smokehouse about her wonderful products. And tonight, she returns in her capacity as chairperson of Slow Food Clare to tell us all about the festival that's taking place this weekend. Good evening, Birgitta. Good evening. How are you keeping? We're great here. And you're in London at the moment. Yeah, I was over to actually visit Harrods, uh, Selfridges and uh, Mason. So you've had a busy few days. Absolutely. And whenever you come back then, you're going to be getting straight stuck into Slow Food Clare. Tell us what that's all about. Yeah, we have a very uh, lively line-up this year with Darina Allen coming to visit on the Sunday. We have um, John and Sally McKen coming on the Saturday. And the whole team of the weekend is seaweed. And how did you come to choose that as a theme? Well, up and current uh, trend in food. Uh, last year's we take the award. There were several items that were actually with seaweed. There were uh, seaweed crackers. We had a seaweed salmon that got a three-star Great Taste Award. But in general, seaweed is just up and coming. There's an awareness of the incredible qualities, uh, the nutritional qualities and the flavours of the umami flavour of seaweed. Now, there's a network of slow food groups throughout the world and it all started in, in Italy. That's right, 1986. It started in a reaction to all the fast food that uh, had started up. Uh, McDonald's opened up in in Italy and in uh, Rome, sorry, as a reaction to that. Carlo Petrini decided that he was going to start something called slow food and, and really make sure that the Italian food culture would stay solid. Then somebody from Clare decided to join it and to start a group in Clare, I believe. Yeah, myself, Michael Gleeson, who's also going to be talking about uh, his new venture with uh, Kerry Cows and uh, cheese making that have started since. But 2004, we went over together to Turin for a slow food uh, festival there uh, called Terra Madre. It's the conference for full week in, in Turin. And uh, we were so inspired by the whole concept of slow food, the international connections with slow food that we started a slow food festival ourselves and the slow food convivium in Clare. We're going to have this foreign slow food food market showcasing a lot of the local producers. We also are tying in with the whole Burren Geopark so, and the Burren Food Trail and also the Adventure Trail. So there be showcases of you know, sea kayaking, linella ice cream, you're going to have the St. Ola goat cheese of course and uh, all all the local uh, qualities will be showcased through the event. There'll be children's 
workshops, there'll be family uh, opportunity and we'll have a big barbecue with uh, Burr and Lamb on the Saturday night. And you have an impressive list of speakers, many of whom I'm delighted to say have been on the best possible taste. John McKenna from Guides.ie, Aidan McGrath of the Wild Honey Inn and Val O'Connor is presenting her new book, Bread on the Table. Yeah, that's going to be really exciting as well. She'll be talking a little bit about uh, simple bread making, fast recipes and to make really good um, your own really good homemade bread. And it's all taking place in the pavilion in Lustenvarna and is there a charge to attend events? Yeah, a small charge of five euro for the whole weekend. You can uh, go in and out of uh, really good cookery demonstrations and uh, I think it's a seriously good value. And to get more information, all the details are on the slowfoodclare.com website. That's right, the whole programme is there. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleiter. If you're in the market for a cookery course, Recipe for Success in Anacotti and Limerick is running a barbecue class this Saturday and a Seafoods Delight course next Tuesday the 27th of May. Their website is recipeforsuccess.ie. That's for the number and all the details will be there. Further up the country in Kells and County Meath, the Sheridan's Cheesemongers will host their fifth Irish food fast festival with a huge array of Ireland's top food producers in attendance to sell, sample and talk about their wonderful foods. The idea of this annual event is to bring together the people who make the foods and the customers who love it. So if you're interested in that and if you are interested in workshops with the likes of Richard Corrigan of the New Park House Hotel, Virginia, Ross Lewis of Chapel Chapter one. Um, there's also John and Sally McKenna, Spice Master, Aaron Kapoor. Lots of people have actually featured here on the best po- possible taste. They'll all be there, and details of that is on their website. Thanks to everyone who's emailed and tweeted me event information. If you have any food or drink related events coming up, be sure to let me know. S.Noonan at live.ie is the email address, and we'd be delighted to give them a shout out here on the best possible taste. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. The best possible taste on West Limerick 102 is delighted to offer you the chance to win tickets to Bloom, Ireland's biggest gardening, food and family festival. Board Bia is giving you the chance to win a family pass to enjoy the dazzling garden displays, mouth-watering food, cutting-edge fashion, fun and games and lots, lots more. A highlight in the social calendar for green-fingered enthusiasts, foodies and those who enjoy a great family day out. Bloom will run for five days over the June Bank Holiday weekend in Dublin's Phoenix Park from Thursday the 29th of May until Monday the 2nd of June 2014. To be in with a chance to win this fantastic prize, just answer the question below. Where is Bloom being held this year? A. The Botanic Gardens B. Phoenix Park C. St. Stephen's Green Send your answer to s.noonan at live.ie by this Sunday, May 25th. That's all we have time for this evening. Don't forget to enter the competition to win the tickets to Bloom and next week we'll be talking to Mike Neary from Board Bia about Bloom in detail. Thanks for your company tonight to producer Geraldine O'Sullivan and all of tonight's guests. Be sure to tune in again next Tuesday at 8 o'clock and until then, bon appétit. 
Do you want to get in touch with the best possible taste? Do you want to come on, share a recipe, review a cookery book, or just have a general chat about what you like to eat and drink? All you have to do is get in touch with me, Sharon Noonan, by sending an email to s.noonan at live.ie or send me a tweet at Queen of Org. Bon appétit!